five keys to victory, and we completed one, having an attitude of joy, right? Having an attitude of joy. Now let's go back for a brief moment to the scripture that we're using. We are in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Alright? James chapter 1, 2 through 4. And what were we reading? Let's read it again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, underline that word, because that would be key number two. I'm going to emphasize the word knowing. In verse one, what we kind of look at was the whole concept of joy and maturity as it relates to patience, right? So we're going to be, or verse two, sorry, yeah. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith work at patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Okay, so I don't know if I gave you all the points up ahead or if I was just going through it one at a time. Did I give them all to you? Let me give them so you could keep track. That way when I jump into it, you're not behind me. Key number one was, right? We must have an attitude of joy. Number one, we must have an attitude of joy. Key number two, <laughs> we must have, you know, I understand technology sometimes get ahead of us. Key number two, we must have an understanding mind. That's number two. We must have an understanding mind. Now, listen, I'm not teaching you for naught. These points and these things I'm giving you are key, practical, living examples of our way out and living your best life. Use them. Don't just listen to them. Use them. Use this very thing as you're helping somebody or talking to somebody. Use this very thing in your home situation. Key number three. We must have a submissive will. We must have a submissive will. Key number four. We must have a believing heart. We must have a believing heart. And key number five. We must have a humble spirit. If we live by these five keys, we will live a life of victory. Hence, I said five keys to victory. Live by these five keys, have a life to victory, even in the midst of terrible trials. Maintain this because we started off with trials. We looked at Paul in prison and all that kind of stuff. Consider it pure joy. So let's go back and pick up 
at number two, an understanding mind. You need me to repeat something? Number one, have an attitude of joy. Yes, attitude of joy. Yeah, preach that over the last couple of weeks. Having an attitude of joy. Number two, key, second key to victory, you got to have an understanding mind. The second key is extracted from verse three. Know this. It's amazing. Know this. No, no, no. Know this. Know that the trying of your faith. You gotta know that your trials producing some larger good. In spite of. I think I mentioned last time that part of my training in a CISM was to help people understand that a trial has a good in it. Uh, oh. I hate to do this, this is like a little bit of a cheat sheet, but today, today I was with a client <laughs> and we'd come through some things and some trauma, which you're fully aware of. We're not discussing business, but just make an example. He has come through this trial and today's session, I'm at that point where I felt that the, the closure is beginning to take place and you in another room was closing up something and going into a new phase with couple stuff. And so I said to him, using the same principle, I said, now that you have gone through this trial and all this stuff has happened, is there any good you can see that this thing produced? Or can you learn or have you learned anything from all of this tragedy and trauma that you've been through in recent past? And he sat back and he said the most profound thing. And I think I said it to you all before, but this is what he says. He said, in all of this, I learned not to take my spouse for granted. Have I told you about that, the Barna survey? The number one trauma and reason for breakdown in relationships. Did I tell you about that? Yes. A long time ago. You know what it is, right? Taking people for granted. It's not sex and money and cheating and robbery and this and that. It's just that assumption that, well, you'll be there. I mean, I can go out and do it. Well, you'll be there. It's that taking for granted that destroys people. You reduce them to a furniture or a fixture in the house to the extent you say, well, let somebody else sit on me then. Because since you can't appreciate what services I'm providing, maybe I ought to. So taking somebody for granted. So that's what I said. What? Do you know or can you extract from what you just went through? And he sat and he thought and he sat and he says, I learned that I shouldn't take my spouse for granted. And then he added a little bit extra dimension to it. He says, um, he said, what I did and didn't notice was that I assumed that this was safe. I assume my marriage was safe. I assume this was a safe place. And I was, I, I, I can go do this, I can do that. I can, I can get, oh, yeah. She got the kids. <laughs> Biggest disaster, taking people for granted. 
Do not take people for granted. Every relationship will die on the dung heap when you start to see your mate as safe or the relationship as safe and you don't have to put out the extra effort anymore. <laughs> I'll pretend I didn't see that. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a terrible assumption. It will hurt you and cause you to end up on the ash heap. So here's, here's, here's James. James said, know this. Know this. That this trial has a purpose. And that purpose will be to mature you. It'll work patience in you. And patience as I interpreted last week, is maturity. It will work that in you. Notice. So key number two is have an understanding mind. Get to know the reasons behind your trial. God, are you working something out in me? After I get beyond, oh my God, why is this happening to me? After we get beyond that, come into knowing. Get an understanding mind. God, is there something I am supposed to learn or know in this? Now, being the kind of person I am, I always look in first. It's kind of my default position. At the onset of any trial, the first thing I do is ask God, God, did I do something wrong? Am I not living right? Am I feeling you? I go in. You know, you might want to criticize that or not, you know, but that's my personal method. Lord, before I set out to embark on all that may happen, let me just make sure I ain't the cause of it. <laughs> I'm trying to know, and I first try to know with me, is there a possibility here that I am the culprit? Because if so, then I'm in understanding. I'm, under I'm beginning to understand. I'm having an understanding mind. Maybe it's me. Huh? Show me, Lord, Psalm 139, verse somewhere down in the bottom there. Um, <laughs> show me, teach me, O oh Lord, and lead me into a plain part of everlasting. Psalm 139. I'm pretty sure it's 139. Right? Search me. Yeah, yeah. It's search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be some wicked way in me, and lead me into the path of everlasting. Psalm 139, it's probably about the second to last or last verse, somewhere down in the bottom in the back there. All right? So what does David say? David is simply saying, this thing that I'm going through, I need for you to kind of look at me real, real close. And if you see something, Lord, highlight by the Holy Spirit, whether it's me or not, because I could be the cause of my own troubles. So in trying to understand what the trial is, let's rule out or rule in the principal person that's getting the troubles. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Let's rule in or out the principal proponent of the trouble. Is it me? Have an understanding mind. Am I the cause of my own demise? Am I the cause of this storm that has been opened up on me? No, let me know me. So, so you get that? The second key to victory, have an understanding mind. And as you're having an understanding mind, first thing, Rule yourself in or out. Search me, O oh God. Know 
my heart, I pray. See if there be any wicked way in me. Am I the cause of my troubles? And if there be, Lord, lead me in the path of everlasting. Oh, I don't care. You make you stronger, right? <laughs> Oops. Oh, I can't get that. Okay. I'll get it. Okay. All right. So, have an understanding mind. Okay, good. Thank you. It's 139 verses 23 and 24, right? No, help me to understand me. Before you run off misinterpreting a whole lot of other signs, start with the basic. Is it me? Am I the guy that has invited this? Did I open a door? Did I touch the wrong thing? Did I go to the wrong place? Whatever. Start with me before I go thinking about well, them people, this and that one, they doesn't. See how he looked at me. See how she, no, just start with, yes. could I be it? Rule that in or out. Have an understanding mind of your trial. Rule yourself in or out. All right. Hopefully it ain't you. Now we could move on to something else. Okay? Um, there are a few things you got to know. You must come to know the reason for the testing. You must come to know the reason for the testings. Why? Because trials are designed to give patience. I lost my page, but that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. <laughs> trials are designed to produce patience. So at the end of the day, there's something I am going to learn and something I have to learn, and that is patience. And that's an aspect of maturity. That's growing up. So that I learn to, I, I, it, this, I'm gonna put you on the spot because this was so cute and so precious. Tell them what your granddaughter said when she learned in Sunday, Church Sunday. Um, she said she had to think about it, so we drove down the pass, and when we got to the bottom of the pass, she says, well, what I learned is that I need to have patience while I wait. She's seven. Seven years old. She was sitting right there in church last Sunday when I was dealing with this subject matter. And for all intent and purpose, she just looked intensely fixed on her gaze. Yeah, it's just a little child. No, she asked her later on and she called me to share it with me. She talked to a girl, well, what do you learn in church today? I learned that I need to wait in patience. Put it in a child, and when she's old enough, she will not walk away from it. Do you understand the power of the seed of that incorruptible word in a seven-year-old at the point where psychologically all of her life's hardwiring is coming to a finish point? We're hardwired by seven. Anything you're going to learn for the rest of your life it's like putting down a building, right? You put in the foundations. 
there are some things that's going in there that will never come out. You could change and rearrange the house and change that room and break out that wall. But the hard wiring you put in through the foundation, you're going to have to work around that. Because you ain't about to dig up that foundation to run new wires and new septic tanks and new PVC pipes. There are some things that are hardwired in the foundation. Do you understand the spiritual principle? There are things that are hardwired in the foundation that no matter how long the building stands or how many changes you make to it, you're not going to interfere with the hardwiring. In a, in a building, the electrical and the plumbing are put in first with the foundation. It's cast in concrete. For as long as that child lived, she's getting a hard wiring into her system. Throughout the trials, tornadoes and storms will come and push the house down. But if we're going to build back on that spot, by golly, the wire is still in place. Huh? Patience while I wait. Because God is wiring something into you. His word is for a purpose. And so it is designed to produce patience. And it's important that we understand that. The word endurance literally means patiently waiting on God to remove a trial. That's, that's literally what it means. In a theological, theocentric manner, it means waiting on God to remove a trial. That's what endurance means. <laughs> Just think about it. Yeah, this, word, this, this word of God thing is so powerful. I don't know. <laughs> I am kind of weird that way. <laughs> but the things that excite me are not going to a party and stuff like that. I'm not trying to brag or boast or not. I gotta tell you what excites me. The word of God sitting down home and she's trying to peep over my shoulder to see what I'm gonna do. Can't believe this. That's what God. Oh, I, got, I got this thing. I'm losing my breath. I'm like, I got this. I got this revelation from God. It's just stirring me. And it's almost like making your heart beat fast. And you're like, oh, you're right. like, oh, Sunday come quick. Sunday come quick. I want to tell somebody. This, it's called exegesis. An, exege an exegetical study is when you take words, just one word, and blow them up. Just open them, and they just boom, and they splat all over the wall. Just one word. And you stop right there. There's 10,000 that follows it, but that one thing right there is just got so much stuff in it that it just warms your heart and excites you. And, you know, well, that, that's my excitement. My excitement is studying the word. Just. Pastor, can I just say one, one more thing? Oh, you made a comment. You said, I am not in a hurry to make a mistake. That's all we have to wait. <laughs> that's true. Don't be in a hurry to make a mistake. Be in a hurry to have the favor of God mm -hmm. and good outcome. Mm -hmm. Don't be in a hurry to make a mistake. Amen. Take your time. What is to be revealed would be revealed. Mm -hmm. And because of the nature of revelation, it is a time process thing. Wait, just, just, just wait. Just, just, just wait. <laughs> just, just wait on stuff, you know. Um, Al-Qaeda. You know who Al-Qaeda is, right? You know what is the essence of their philosophy? That they will wait us out. You know how long they were planning to bomb us? Remember they tried in 1993? 
with a couple car bombs and stuff under the tower and it didn't yield much fruit. They was waiting, they were waiting before that. And that one didn't prove as successful. And from 93 to 2001, they waited and they plotted and they waited and they plotted until they find the vulnerability and that one crack. And in one day, in a moment, in a coordinated attack, Pentagon, Pennsylvania, Twin Tower, boom! They, they, I'm using a bad example, but I'm trying to show you the power waiting and stuff. All kinds of stuff will be revealed when you wait. So something comes before you and it looks good. Well, it may not be all that good. You know, if somebody's putting up a show, it's like standing with your leg on one leg. There's just so long you can do that before you're going to have to give in and show your true self. You know, you wait, you wait, you just wait it out. Wait it out. You know, whatever is to be revealed would be revealed. But how are you going to know that? How are you going to know that? If you don't wait, just stand your ground. Say, all right, it's uh, not a bad idea, but... Waiting instructions from God. He told me there's something you got to show me. So until then, you hold on. <laughs> I'm going to wait. Yeah. Does that mean that you still can't make a mistake after that? No. <laughs> you certainly reduce your chances of making one. <laughs> you definitely re reduce your chances of making one if you wait. You know. Okay, God builds us up the same way a runner gradually develops the ability to run long distance. I used to be an athlete. Imagine that. All 300 pounds of me, there was a time when I used to be an athlete. And I was felt. <laughs> you know, svelte, S V E L. You want a picture? You first have to find if they had cameras back then. And then we can talk about pictures. <laughs> Maybe there's a couple or two hanging around somewhere. My sister have them. But he builds us up the same way he develops the ability to run long distance. And like I say, I used to be an athlete. I used to be a distance runner. And what we did back then was we did small runs, burnouts, small runs, burnouts, burnouts. And then next time, a little bit longer, and a little bit longer, and a little bit longer. And your body begin to get conditioned. Remember the first time I experienced what is called a runner's high? Anybody ever got that? I used to hear that and didn't know what it meant. That is a real thing. That is a real thing, a runner's high. So I was training for an event, and I remember running from the track place, which was a couple, three miles from where I live, and I decided, well, I'm going to run home today. And I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I pushed myself beyond myself. And there came a point in time, God is my witness, I felt like my lungs exploded, and a whole new chamber was opened up, oxygen to rush into and in that one moment a high was produced in my body I felt like I had just <laughs> taken some drugs or something I got euphoric huh? yeah. Yeah. something just opened up 
boom, like a, you just force that lung and that capacity on the exhaustion and all that, and it was demanding more air, more air, and like it opened another chamber. <gasps> and I remember I saw my house and I was like, oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> I literally got high off oxygen. I literally got high off of pure oxygen. I run as high. But you build yourself to that. And so he's saying, notice it's for patience, right? It's for endurance. And that you have to develop yourself. You start with small stuff and you keep going and you keep going. In the same manner, God allows increasingly greater trials in our lives to increase our spiritual endurance. There is a purpose behind what you're going through. There's a purpose behind what you're going through. You're developing spiritual endurance, waiting patiently to see God do work. Developing that. And it will pay off. It will pay off because <clears throat> in Romans chapter 12, yeah, I think it's 12. Hang on, somebody find Romans 12 for me. Let me see Romans chapter 12. I'm pretty certain it's 12. Let me find it. Romans 12. Let's see. Verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measuring yourselves by the faith. Ah, that's the one I was looking for. So in the King James, it's probably saying to everyone, I've given you the measure of faith, right? That's what it reads in some of your Bible. Ah, let's blow that up. <laughs> Let's blow that up for a second. I give you the measure of faith. Because he just got done saying, don't think you're better than me. Or me think I'm better than you. He said, don't do that. Why? This is the, this is the reason why he said you don't do that. He said, because the same amount I gave him, I gave her, I gave her, and I gave her. I gave you the measure of faith. So let's make this physical and live in front of us now. So this is what? 12 ounces? All right, make me a liar for four ounces. <laughs> so this is 16. This is 16 ounces. This is the measure. You get 16 ounces. Thank you. You get 16 ounces. You get 16 ounces. How much more than how you got? Same amount. But how come, with the same amount, you manifest a whole lot more power from what you got? Let me give you an example. This might ring a little bit true. I can't think of any other modern guy, so let me go one I know. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Know him? Yes. Governor of California, former governor. Big, bulky something, ain't he? The Terminator. That's the man. Terminator. Guess what? 
Arnold Schwarzenegger don't have not one more muscle in his body than me. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Not one mm -hmm. more muscle than me. Mm -hmm. He got his 16 ounces. Mm -hmm. You know what he did with hers? <sighs> He worked his and then it bulked up. Paul says, don't boast and think you're better than anybody else. I gave him the same amount as the measure of faith. I gave each one of you the measure of faith. Your faith response will be in direct relationship to how many times you use that thing and overcome. Are you feeling me now? You getting it? How many times you use that faith muscle to say, Lord, you know, fill my tank today and I believe in it. Or, or your favorite, popcorn and coke. <laughs> you know, Lord, give me a popcorn and coke moment here. And with each succeeding moment where you tested it and you put it, then Next time, it's not a popcorn and coke. God, it's a whole barrel of popcorn to feed the village. <laughs> you understand something? Because he proved himself faithful in the small venture, in the small trial. And now it's like popcorn and coke. Let me tell you how that works. I was in uh, Honduras. I told you this story before. I was in Honduras on a medical mission. And uh, I'm training ministers from all over the country in a crash. When I say crash, I mean I'm teaching from sunup to sundown. These guys travel from all over the country with only enough resources to get there. You think you'll have a hard time? Go to third world countries and you're gonna see what hard time looks like. <laughs> Remember going to Honduras and taking some styrofoam cups? And you know, the disposable stuff? I went back three weeks later and those people still had those styrofoam cups. How could you preserve a styrofoam cup for God's sake? I go back three weeks later and they still have that cup and I'm going like, you still have that? <laughs> that was precious to them. It was a throwaway thing for us. They kept the styrofoam cup. Back to my story. So these guys travel from hundreds of miles across the country to come to this Bible school that I'm running. They have, they only had money to get there. So they got there. They don't have money to eat. So part of that we took care of. I brought stuff from the United States. I took a 40 foot trailer into Honduras. Blankets and medicine and food and all kinds of stuff. Because no point going there to teach hungry people and you can't give them something. <laughs> Bless your brother, go on your way. No, so we fed them. So this one particular day, the line was always like about 100 deep and we ran out of food. We were making hot dogs and bun. That's it. That's the meal for today hot dogs and bun. And somehow, maybe more sharp, I don't know, we ran out of hot dogs. We ran out of food. And my friend Roy Gray, who's a man who I prayed when he passed on that I received the legacy of his faith. He was a faith man like you cannot believe. Roy Gray was all about faith. Tragic story, I'll tell about it another time, how he died. So we ran out and everybody's panicking and the line is 100 deep or so. 
and we run around, we have this big five gallon drum on water and we boil in the hot dogs and the system is you come up in the line, you get a hot dog, you put in a bun and you go on the next person come. And we ran out of a hot dog and there's like about a hundred people still there. And they're panicking and they're panicking. And Roy got annoyed. Cause he's like, you gotta have faith in God. This is not the end of the story. And this is what he said, my eyes, God and you. He says, don't look. Put your hand in the pan and swirl around and you will feel a hot dog. Every time you feel one, pull it up. The guy goes, but it's empty. There's nothing there. He says, put your hand, don't look. That's when our faith begins to leave. When we start looking on the circumstance, you start looking on the circumstance and like Peter on the water, oh my God, the waves. He says, don't look, put your hand in, just you can run into a hot dog down there. And we were doing this. Boom, hot dog. Put it in the barn. Next person come. Hot dog. For 100 plus people still in the line. Every time we dipped into the pan, we found a hot dog, put it in the barn. And when the last person was done, there was no more. That is faith. Go bring it, yeah. <laughs> it's there. All you had to do was walk in faith and believe it. Believe what the prophet says. And so I watch people get fed over and over and over till there was nobody in the line for food anymore on that day. <laughs> we went over on that day. God miraculously provided. How did I get there? I'm telling you, there were times when we believed for one hot dog and God provided that. Like I was saying with my popcorn and coke. We believed for that one thing and it happened. And when that happened the next time, guess where I was the day after that? I was like, oh, small stuff. Let's go for the big one. Muscles muscles. I use my faith in small things that build up to big things so that when a massive situation faces me, I'm fasting not for some miracle drug cure. I'm fasting so that my faith aligns with God's potential. And now I look at that thing and I'm like, you're as big as bad as you think. God's going to do it. And I'm not shrinking back. I'm not backing down. God's going to do it. That's how faith works. That's how faith goes. He says, know this, know this. These trials produce something. It causes endurance. It causes you to get bigger and bulkier in your faith. So when you ask for something, you ask for small things and then bigger things and then bigger things. And then next thing you know, uh, I can't help but I have to tell you another story. I wanted a Cadillac Escalade. That was my dream car. Well, first I wanted a Jeep Grand Cherokee. So I got one. And now it got too small. So I, I want a bigger one. So, with the Jeep, I bought a toy Jeep just like the one I wanted. <laughs> this is a serious story. I bought a toy Jeep and I stuck it on the fridge. And every day I pass by, I touch it and say, You're gonna be mine. I'm out the door, <laughs> come back in, You're gonna be mine. <laughs> I did that. God, we don't have enough time for me to tell you how it was. <laughs> but when it came time for me to get that, the one thing that was keeping me back from getting it, 
I didn't have the money, but I really wanted one. I want them taking Josiah to school. And the Lord says, turn right and go down there. Okay. Keep driving when, when, you, when you get a certain place. You're going to see a bank. Okay, all right. I'm looking for a bank, but I got about a mile in on the street. It wasn't a bank, it was a credit union. And he says, okay, go there, apply for a loan. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm listening to God. So <laughs> I go in the bank. I said, I like a loan. The first thing the lady says, are you a member here? No. You ever seen me here before? <laughs> no, I'm not a member here. She said, well, yeah, well, this is a credit union. We service members. So I went, because I know God spoke to me. Well, what it takes to become a member? He says, well, you have to open an account. Well, how much? $100. I ain't have $100 in my pocket. I'm going to get a loan. <laughs> $100 in my pocket. I say, hang on. I run outside, I go to the grocery store, and I just stick into the ATM, got $100, and I came back, and I said, here, here's my $100, open my account. She said, open account. I said, okay, I need a loan. She said, well, sir, you know, this is just a branch, and we have a corporate office, and when we do this, it has to go to the corporate board, and it has to be approved, and come back. I said, well, well, go ahead, let me fill out the paperwork. So I fill out the paperwork, and then she says, well, we will call you. I said, no, no, call them right now. <laughs> when you know you hear God say something, you don't take no for an answer. I said, call him right now. And she said, well, it's not going to do any good. That's how we operate. So I said, well, I can wait. I mean, I got all day long. And, and I took a seat in front of the woman. I sat down. And I just waited. And she called the head office. I can't hear what she's saying. But all I know, I saw her eyes just increasing, increasing, as they're looking at me like, she said they approved it. This is something that has to go to the head office and get approved. Mm -hmm. She called him right there. It was approved. And I said, well, then give me my check. And she printed out a cashless check for me and I left the bank. Fifteen minutes earlier, I didn't know the bank exists. I'd never been down that street. Mm -hmm. I walked in. <laughs> I said what the Lord told me to say. And I walked out with a loan. So now I wanted an escalade, right? <laughs> I'll make that story short. I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny I may have said I'm believing God for an Escalade because I did buy a toy Escalade again just like I did with the Jeep. And I put it on the fridge and I kept saying, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. And I planted a church in Oklahoma, but I'm still living in Texas. I'm driving from Oklahoma to Texas every week. So this weekend I, I go home uh, from Oklahoma and you know, spending the weekend. And I get a call from Oklahoma. And this guy tells me who he is. And then he says, when are you coming to pick up your car? I'm like, what car? This Mr. Leach? Yes. So when are you coming to pick up your car? What car? He said, look, somebody paid cash for an Escalade here for you. You, you need to come and get it. So when I set my heart to believe God to wipe out a debt, it was built up over many years with little things up and up and up and up until now you put a challenge before me and go like, well, he did that, and he did that, and he did that, and he did that, and he did that. He could do that. <laughs> I got a phone call. I returned to Oklahoma, and there is an Escalade, a white Escalade, sitting on this big parking lot 
paid for in cash. A guy decided to bless me. And he buys me an escalator. Just believe. Just believe. It is as simple as that. Yes. Profound, but yet true. Just believe. Yes. Now you can lift up a thousand pounds and move all kinds of stuff and get a truck and a bulldozer and move mountains. The biggest thing you can do in your life is to believe. Yes. The strongest power resident inside you yes. is to believe yes. absolutely. Better than lifting weights any day. <laughs> believe the power of believing. This mind and this spirit God gives in you, when you look at him and you see him as a man full of unsearchable riches and can do anything, you got a cattle on a thousand hill. Believe in the midst of your trial. Believe. Know this. Know this. Believe. Believe. Have I had trials? Oh, Lord. Has the last two years been a rosy? No. But in the midst of every circumstance, God brought me on top. He put my feet on a rock to stay, and he didn't cause me to suffer grievous death or what have you. God walked through. And, and, and you know, you know, <laughs> so I'm asking myself, what was this all about, God? He says, I call you to do something. Mm, this, is, this is me telling on myself. I call you to do something. And you started to drift into a system to where you were denying some of the things I had you do and call you to do. You were denying your prophetic giftings. You were denying the, the authority to take. You, you were just slunking back into. He had to stir me back into being the man and the preacher and the prophet and the apostle all that that he called me to be so that i can get back and take authority and say you will write your own ticket yes. Yes. and two weeks later you come and testify mm -hmm. it's opened up and we can go around the room <laughs> and just oh lord it's a bit much for me but you gotta understand yes. <laughs> you don't have anything else you don't have a rich uncle. Your name is not Rockefeller. Nor Trump. Well, something else. Oh, your name is not all that. You're not all that. All you have is God. All you have is God. Huh? All you have is God. When you understand that, start to use all you have, which is God. The trial of your faith is to produce this thing in you. Well, you could look at these trials as something God is building in you. The more difficult the battle, the sweeter the victory. <laughs> oh, yeah. The more difficult the battle, the sweeter the victory. So, 
you notice in the last several weeks I'm tying everything into everything. My Thursday night and my Sunday mornings, they're all interconnected because there's a theme I'm on that I'm trying to connect dots, you know. And some things I can't probably do in a sermon because it's, it's not the style for it, but I could teach on a Thursday. You follow? I, I, I can't do this on a Sunday morning. Your students before me. This is not a sermon thing. This is a teaching thing tonight. Can't do it on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I have to bring the fire, bring the passion, teach 40 minutes, 50 minutes, done, boom, pack up, get out of here. Tonight, I could take a word and I can blow it up <laughs> and have you assimilated, right? So, the more difficult the battle, the sweeter the victory. So, consider what I talked about last Sunday. What I talked about last Sunday was Psalm 40, right? From the pit to the praise. Verse 1 through 4, I waited patiently. What did James say in James 1? He says, wait patiently. He said, let patience, James says, let patience have its perfect work. It's almost like James and David were contemporaries, although I know they were not. Right? But, but James is, Peter, uh, David is saying, I waited patiently. On the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry, and he inclined unto me. James is saying, Let patience work itself. Let patience work itself. Let it not be wanting anything, let it not be lacking anything. Learn this the, the, the structure and the essence of waiting patiently before the Lord and not be nervous and anxious and jumping your head out and taking the bull by its own or whatever phrase you want to use, whatever colloquialism, and understand that there is a spiritual lesson and an arrival place in learning to just wait on God. Sometimes you just have to say, Not now. I don't have enough input from the Lord yet. What, what, I don't know. I just feel like there's something he has to tell me. And I ain't hear it yet. And when I hear it, I'll know. I know that I heard it when I hear it. But what it sound like, I don't know. I just, I know I ain't heard it yet. But when I hear it, I'm going to let you know I heard God. Like I heard him say, go down the street and you'll find a bank. I heard him. I heard him when he said that. I heard him when he told me that building that we just saw, the last building we saw. I heard him when he said, after weeks and weeks and everybody running around with their neck cut off like a chicken and wondering why I'm not panicking. And um, <laughs> One guy even insulted me or tried to insult me. He said, you know, he was all astute and he says, um, you know, the people are looking for leadership in this situation. Okay, I guess I'm not a good leader. You all go borrow all you want to spend and do whatever. I, I just, I'm not a good leader. And he just kind of, you know, condescend to me like, even kind of pressure me to go into a bank. And I went to the bank and the guy looked at me, the banker looked at me <laughs> and he was so condescending. And he said to me, what do you need? I said, 
I need $750,000 to... And he looked at me, aren't you a bit ambitious? That's what he said to me. My hand before God. That's what the man said to me in front of my friend who was pressuring me. And I'm going like, well, you rise up and speak now. He just insulted me. He's your friend, and he just insulted me. He just called me a boy. He just insulted me. He just said to me, aren't you a bit ambitious? I got up and I left the bank. I'm like, I ain't listening. I'm not sitting down and letting you deride me and, and make an AWS out of me. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm not sticking around for that. You know. So I left. It was during that time I got, well, uh, they're looking for leadership. You know, I, I hope I'm providing some. God didn't tell me nothing. Last time you said God told you, I was made a fool of. So weeks had gone by, did nothing. One day, out of the clear blue sky, one day, the Lord had me go to the phone book. And I'm in the section with banks and all kinds of stuff. And he said, call that one. <laughs> call that one. <laughs> so I pulled the number out of the phone book and I called the bank. Expecting, you know, the usual. How may I direct your call? Da, 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 da. Guy picks up the phone and he answers, hello, this is, his name was John. He said, John, and, uh, he's talking. Uh, what can I do for you today? I said, well, John, I'm trying to get, you know, a loan. There's this building right for the taking. I'm a pastor. It's on five acres of land. It's 11,000 square foot. It's got this, it's got that. Da, da, da. And he just stopped me and said, how did you get this number again? And with quick witness, I just said, oh, my friend gave it to me. I'm trying not to lie. I mean, Jesus, but I don't want to tell you all that. Jesus gave me this number. <laughs> he told me this, all this number. I call it. You want to know what happened? That was the president of the entire bank in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas. The call went straight to his desk. No gatekeeper block it. Alignment for the assignment. No gatekeeper block that call. I pulled a number random out of the phone book and called, and the phone rang on the president's desk so he was before how did you how did you get this number he's thinking who who, who sent you on or? <laughs> within five days after i had a conversation with him he said sure we can do this i bought the building and i saw him say your fate will produce an alignment for your assignment <laughs> if a secretary or somebody at that level had answered my phone call, they would either dismiss me or route me to this one, and then you need to call the loans department, and you gotta do this, and, and you know, maybe come back, fill out a form, and send it in and triplicate, and then you know, double stamp it and make sure it's... God said, no, the man with the power to decide, I'm sending a call straight to him. Straight to him. And the call went to them president of Bank First of Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas. Do what? How do you get this number again? Oh yeah, he said, how did you get this number? I said, my friend gave it to me. That was a true statement, my friend gave it to me. Yeah, Jesus told me to call that number, call that number. He said, call that number right there. My friend gave it to me. 
didn't tell him who my friend was, but <laughs> you know, he probably think it's probably one of his friends that told him, whatever works, bro, I am out. The process is not mine. The outcome is mine. The process is not mine. Strengthen your faith. Grow your faith. Believe God for big stuff. James says, let this thing work in you. So David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined his ear. He leaned in. He heard my cry. He brought me up on a hollow pit. He had put a new song in my mouth, and so on and so on. Blesses, he, blesses that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside the lies. You don't show favor to my pastors. And blah, blah, blah. I trust God. Yes. I trust God. I trust God. Uh, I, last week I talked about Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. They had no temptation taking you but such as common to man. And we talk about that. The process of hardships. That God is going to level the playing field. And he's, he's going to make some. He, he's going to make a way for you to bear the situation. He's going to make a way for you to bear the situation. Alright. Paul again. Let's look at Paul again in 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians Wow, oh, thank you. 2 <laughs> Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Here's what Paul is saying. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Who got it in the NLT? Anybody got it in the NLT? You got, you got it in? Yeah. Read it for me. Your faith is flourishing. Your love for one another is growing. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is necessary, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all towards each other aboundeth. Your love for one another and the goodness and the gift and the love of God is now causing all of you to flow in it. Remember? The rising tide lifts all boats. Hmm? So Paul is saying, I'm watching you. I'm giving thanks to God for you. And your faith is growing exceedingly. And the charity you have towards one another also, it abounded. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Read that from the NLT for me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Okay, I'm going to give it to you from the NLT. Dear brothers, dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you. Because your faith 
is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We started out tonight with the sense of corporate oneness and faith. Your faith and your love for one another is flourishing and it's growing. And as it begins to grow, everybody will grow along with it and everybody will receive the blessings from it when it is done in proper unity, right? He said, we, probably, we, we proudly tell God other churches about your endurance. Remember endurance? Waiting on God patiently in a trial. We proudly tell God about the sufferings you've had and how you've waited through several trials and how the outcome was good. So we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardship that you are suffering. Verse 5, just for lining up. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. Just add that on top for good measure. That's the cherry on the ice cream. Just add that on top there. I'm going to do this, is what he's saying. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you. 